Zechariah chapter 7, and uh, we're going to be there just for a, uh, a minute tonight. While you're turning what we just read in Matthew, I've been reading a, a book um, on the life of Jesus, and it's more of a, it's an historic perspective um, on his life um, on earth and all the, how he uh, interacted with uh, different people and just who he was as a person and what historians even can't deny that, man, this is true, Jesus is truly the Son of God. But as I read that, I was reading that book recently and uh, throughout the month of January and I almost finished with it, and then you look at the scriptures which we study and we read in the Gospels, you know, it's just so evident and it's just so clear Jesus' mission here on earth why he came and who he is. And I think it's so important as Christians that that's who we ought to edify, that's who we ought to pattern our life after is Jesus Christ. I think it's so important that we study the gospels, that we study everything that Jesus did, how he interacted with people, how he talked to people, how he how he dealt with critics how he dealt with people who were maybe loyal to a fault, how he uh, just interacted as a whole and what his passion was, who he was as a person and what the example is that he set for us on earth. But before we get there tonight, I want you to notice in Zechariah, and we'll be in chapter 7 in just a moment, but the book of Zechariah is written after God's people return from captivity in Babylon. So, Chapters 1 through 8 are written of Zechariah to encourage the remnant, that, that small group of people who had returned recently from their exile. Their faith in God and Zechariah, as you see, and if you study the book, was weak. They were not motivated to come back and to build the temple after what they just endured and after what they just faced. And now as they're back, they needed to conform to the law of God again, and they needed to get back into obedience with the Lord. And in Zechariah chapter 7, the Jewish people come to God and they ask him if even now that they are out of captivity and the building of the second temple is back on, if they should continue with these traditional fasts that they would do and participate, that, participate in these fasts in the fifth and seventh month of every year. So understand the picture, understand the setting tonight. Here they are, they're back from exile, there's a small remnant group. They're discouraged, they're beaten, they're battered, they're trying to conform to the law of God again to build this temple, and they come to God and say, okay, God, we're back, there's not many of us, should we begin these fasts again that we did, these traditional fasts in the fifth and seventh month? And God responds quickly, and what you'll see if you read before in Zechariah that he asks his people if when they took place in those fasts, if they were even unto him, if they were for his glory, or if they were just a traditional appointment that they took place out of just religious tradition and with no sincerity of heart. And before we continue tonight, and this is not the message, but I think it's so important that as Christians, we don't fall into that category of just tradition, of just routine. Well, we come to church Sunday morning, and we come to church Sunday night, and we have our, have our uh, Bible reading schedule, and we just you know check off the boxes and have this robotic type of Christianity. That Christianity is not the Christianity that the disciples used to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And yes, we ought to pattern our lives after Jesus and after his 
teachings and his, uh, what he taught us throughout the gospel and throughout the scriptures, but it's so important that we have a victorious Christian life, that we have a passionate Christian life, that we have a sincere relationship with God, that we have a heart that's burning to know more about him and to know more about his word and not just come to church in routine just because we have to, just because we've been doing it for years. That's really where you get in your Christian life where it becomes stagnant and you're either growing in your Christian life or you're dying. There's nowhere in between. And you can, I evaluate my heart tonight and you can sit there tonight and evaluate your heart. You can decide, hey, I'm either growing in my Christian life or I'm dying. The great thing is tonight, if you are saying, well, yeah, I probably am dying in my walk with the Lord and in my faith, you can turn that around tonight. You can break tradition because God gives us a fresh start every single day. But here we are again in Zechariah. So God comes to Zechariah and he says to tell the people to forget their traditional fasts and to instead take heed to his commandment. So God says, all right, Zechariah, go tell this remnant group of people, forget the fasts, forget the traditions, forget all that. Instead, I want them to follow my commandment. Now, if you're in Zechariah chapter 7, let's look at what God's commandment was. Verses 9 and 10. And the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment. Show mercy and compassion every man to his brother. Oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor. And let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. So here he comes to Zechariah and says, Forget the traditional fasts. Instead, what I want you to do is follow these commandments. I want them to execute true judgment. I want them to show mercy and compassion every man to his brother. I want them to oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, or the poor. And let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. This is the very heart of God, I believe, in any verse, especially in the Old Testament. This is the heart of God right here. Truth, mercy, love, compassion. That's what God wants us to live. That's what he wants us to carry out. And that's what he's commanding here to these Jewish people. But notice their response in verse 11, Zechariah 7, verse 11. But they refused to hearken and pulled away their shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Bible says that they literally, someone putting your hand on your shoulder, pulled away. And I just imagine, you know, working down in junior church or in the bus ministry when a kid's being bad and doesn't want to listen, just plugs in his ears and blah, 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 making noise so he can't hear what you're telling him. And that's literally what the Israelites are doing here. Pulled away and refused to listen. Verse 12, yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Verse 13. Therefore it has come to pass that he, as he cried, and they would not hear. So they cried, and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations whom they knew not. Thus the land was desolate after them, that no man passed through nor returned, for they laid the pleasant land desolate. Do you realize that one of the main reasons that God says he brought captivity to his people was because of their lack of mercy and compassion to the widow, the fatherless, the stranger, and the poor? The Bible says that he literally says, if you're not going to listen to what I'm saying, I'm not going to listen to what you're saying. Imagine a prayer life where your prayer literally just goes and hits the ceiling and it comes back. And that's really what the Israelites were doing because they refused. 
Because they did not obey God and ignored his voice, he ignored their cries and their prayers. And what I want to challenge you with tonight and what's been on my mind and been on my heart as we have that new bus out there and as I see, you know, teenagers in our youth group who are growing, I think it's so important that we understand that God loves people. And I'm talking to our Sunday night crowd here, but our core group of believers, a core faithful group of Christians, and it's important that we understand God loves people and he uses his church and he uses other Christians to impact lives for him. Now the sad thing tonight is when I just said that, it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. You understand that the Great Commission is not a convenience when we feel like it. It is a commandment from Jesus Christ. Bible says that he looked at the Israelites and said, forget the traditional fasts, forget the routine, go out and execute judgment, show mercy and compassion, reach the fatherless, reach the widow, and make a difference in people's lives. That's where the heart of God was. And so many times as church, we can just go through routine and we can get stagnant and we can come and enjoy the service and see each other. And eventually, if it always stays that way and there's never a burden to reach new people and there's never a fire and a desire to see, to see lives change for Jesus Christ and there's never that desire to see the fatherless and see the widow and see the poor and see the families and see the teenagers and see the adult couples and see families, our lives turn for Christ and eventually it's going to die. Eventually it's going to get cold. Eventually it's going to windle down to just a few group of believers that gather and hold on to the traditions, the traditional fasts that the Israelites were holding on to, to that small remnant group. We go to a church in a city of over 80,000 people, and a city that is filled with many widows, fatherless, strangers, poor, rich people, middle-class families, all live within a nine-mile radius of where we stand. In fact, I think Danbury is up to 84,000 people. But the question is tonight is, do we have any burden? We read in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, before the service tonight, that when Jesus looked at the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion to do something. It is our commission as a church and as Christians to go out and reach these people and the people of Danbury. God forbid that God looks at my life, and I'm so consumed with myself and my own problems and what I got going on and what I'm doing that I reject his commandment to reach other people, that I reject his commandment to be a soul winner, that I reject to show mercy and judgment and compassion to other people, that God looks at me and says, all right, you're not going to listen to my commandment. I love you. You're saved, but I'm not going to listen to your prayers. And we can't afford that as Christians. We can't afford that as a church. I thank God for a church that does have many different avenues in which we can serve the people of our city. Thank God for our bus ministry. Thank God for when we have our Sunday dinners. I thank God for our Sunday school and faithful Sunday school teachers that show up every single week to teach a class. I thank God for our Saturday morning soul winners who come out in the bitter cold of, on Saturdays to, to hand out tracts and to knock doors. And we need to work up that zeal, that passion, that desire to reach people. And so what I want to share with you real quick tonight and we'll be through is just a couple challenging thoughts. And I don't want this just to go in one ear and out the other. Oh, we're talking about soul winning and this and that, and then that's it. If you understand that if you, if you become a soul winner, if you become a person that really loves and desires to be like Christ, then you'll naturally just be a soul winner. You read the Gospels, and I've been reading them a lot lately, and you see Jesus just always interacting with people, always going out of his way to talk to people. And as Christians, we need to do the same. We need to be a light. We need to be a salt in this earth, because if we're not, who is? 
Who's reaching people? Who's making a difference? What can I do? What can I do? Number one, you can ask God to give you a burden for souls. You can ask God to give you a burden for souls. So many times we're consumed with what we have going on and we need a burden for souls. Man, there's so many people out there. I think of that, uh, that uh, lady who rode the bus this morning that Mrs. Silliman reached out to in Sunday school, raised her hand and said, hey, I just pray for my family. And you could tell just excited to be here and looking for some answers and looking for, for something and knowing that this is the place to come when, to, when she's looking. And you realize that there's thousands and thousands of people who are out there if they just knew. If they just knew, if there were just Christians who had a burden. Our schedule is busy and we can barely handle everything right now and we're physically unable. You can still pass out a track wherever you go. You can be soul conscious. I went to college with a, with a teacher who, this guy was very, maybe not everybody's favorite teacher, but he was a soul winner. He was a soul winner to the core and he was faithful at it. And he tells a story that one day in O'Hare Airport, he passed out a track to somebody and uh, about 10 or 15 years later, he was, at, he was in O'Hare Airport again, and he was going through, and he handed a track to a guy, and the guy said, oh, I've gotten this before. In fact, I think I got it from you like 10 years ago, and I'm saved, and I'm a Christian, and I'm in church because of that track you handed out 10 years ago. Why? Just for handing out a track, just for being a soul winner. Ask God to give you a burden, to be a salt, to be a light. There's too, listen, there's too many churches in Danbury, there's too many churches in our country that just don't care anymore. They're, they're content with the, with the group that comes every Sunday. They're content with the Sunday night group. They're content with where their lives are at, and they, they don't want to make a difference. They don't want to see a life change. Hey, there's nothing greater in this world, in my opinion, than seeing a life change with Jesus Christ, than seeing God work in a person and see their eyes open as they see the light and say, God, you are giving me the opportunity to partake in that. That is not something that we should take for granted. Ask God to give you a burden for souls. What else can you do? You can pray. You can pray for people. You can pray for the people of Danbury. You can pray for, hey, your own family members who are not saved. And ask God to give them a, an appetite for spiritual things and the Holy Spirit to convict their hearts even right now to, to come to him and to, and to know him. It's amazing in our teen church how many teenagers raise their hand and they're so burdened about their lost loved ones. They're so burdened about if their parents aren't in church or they're so burdened about their friends. And we have a list that we pray for on Sunday of lost loved ones and friends who aren't saved. And they have that burden. And I love that. I never want them to lose that. But as adults, as the leaders who are supposed to pass this thing on to the next generation, we have to have that same burden for souls. We have to have that same burden for people, that God to work in their lives. What can you do? You can pray. Pray for people. Pray for provision, for the manpower to go out and to do something, for the power, for God's power to reach as many people as we can with the gospel message. Ask God to give you a burden for souls. Pray participate, get involved, and jump in. Just get involved and jump in. I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight, but just get all in on this thing. Understand, hey, you know what? I'm not going to question it. I'm not going to doubt it. I'm not going to worry about feeling awkward. I'm just going to go out, and I'm going to be a soul winner. And if I can't make Saturday morning visitation or a church-organized function, I'm going to put a uh, pile, uh, little stack of tracks in my pocket, and I'm going to pass them out throughout the week. I'm going to get all in. Or, hey, I'm going to take things to the next level. You know, it would be awesome, and maybe some of you Sunday school teachers do this, but if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you come on a Saturday or sometime throughout the week, ask uh, uh, Catherine to print you out a roster of every single uh, student who's been in your class in the last year, 
and make a note to pray for them and make a note to visit them and to meet their parents. Hey, take it up a notch in 2020. Take it up a notch to reach more people. Take it up a notch to see lives change. When we organize and we prepare and we get a burden and we go out, that's when God works. But we can't expect just to, to sit around and, and, yes, we have a lot of problems and we have things that are heavy on our hearts. And I'm not making less of any of your problems. I have struggles just as much as you and burdens that we go through. But man, if we put others first, it's amazing how God will just take care of the rest, as, we, as he taught in Zechariah. Pray, participate, get involved, give, give your time, give your support. And one of the things I love about our church is, man, to support our bus ministry. Not many churches are like that anymore. But I, people, when we're trying to get these buses on the road who come up to me, and whether they hand money or whether they say we're praying for you or they support it fully, hey, continue to support. Prepare. As God grows and works with our bus ministry, as we get a new bus on the road, you'll have a number of kids coming in, and hey, take your class seriously. Prepare to, te to teach those people. Prepare to reach them. Disciple them. When you become soul conscious, you will think less of yourself, and you'll think more of others. You'll think less of yourself, and you'll think more of others. I ask you this question this morning, and I always like to challenge myself with this after a long Sunday morning and Saturday visiting. Who was in church this morning because of you? Who was in church this last month because of you? Who was in church this last year because of you? Not trying to scold you or yell at you. I'm trying to challenge you to be like Jesus Christ who looked at people and had compassion on them and realized, hey, they need a savior and I can make a difference in their life. You think less of yourself and you think more of others. When you begin working with people, and giving yourself to them. You'll be surprised how your prayer life will become less about you and your concerns and more about others and theirs. When I talk to teenagers or I talk to bus kids or riders or whatever, and you hear the struggles that they go through and you think, see the things that they're facing, it starts to put things into perspective of how good I really have it and really how small my problems are. And yes, again, not making less of your problems and your trials, but when you really jump in and invest in other people, and see what they struggle with, and see some of the, the, the homes that our teenagers and our kids live in and go through and struggle with, and I bring that burden to the Lord, and you're, you're asking God to help them and to work in their lives, all of a sudden I start to think a little bit less about myself and more about other people. Who on your prayer list do you pray for besides yourself and your own needs? Is there anyone you're praying to grow spiritually? Is there anyone you're helping to grow spiritually? Is there anyone you want to help take to that next level spiritually? Hey, maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a grandchild. Hey, I don't know what it is, but is there anybody on your prayer list that you're convicted and you're concerned and you're moved with compassion as Jesus Christ was to make a difference in their lives so that they can grow spiritually and that they can have a victorious Christian life? Prepare. When you become soul conscious, you think less of yourself and more of others. You start to develop eyes of compassion. You start to see people the way God sees them. You know, God looks and he sees people that are hurting. And he sees a lady here this morning who's looking for answers. People who need salvation and love and mercy. And he sees that crazy bus kid. Or he sees that crazy whatever student in your class that comes in and he sees the potential in them. He sees what they can be. He sees uh, Jose, who was probably not the greatest kid, as I heard when he was little, coming to church and got kicked out a couple times, him and his brother. And he sees the potential of what they can be. And as he's sitting here in church and this morning running the bus in the neighborhood he grew up in to reach other people. 
He sees the potential. And man, when you start to invest and you start to dive in and you start to become a soul-conscious Christian, you'll start to see the way that things, see people the way God sees them. And man, we need that eternal perspective as Christians. We need to give people the benefit of the doubt. We need to see the potential that our teenagers and the potential that our kids and the potential that families have and see them the way Jesus sees them. When you become soul-conscious, Opportunity to see God work in front. You, you gain opportunity to see God work right in front of you and through you. I think as Christians, so many of us have gone way too long in our life. So way too long in our Christian life where God has not used us to do much of anything except sit in church on Sunday. To knock on a door, to see a soul saved to see someone that we're discipling, to see somebody that we're working with, to see someone that we're driving to church, to have that zeal and that compassion. Man, when I step back after a long Sunday and you see uh, the teenagers that are growing or you see whoever you're working with in your ministry and your class growing and you look back and say, man, it's worth it. And I'm exhausted and it's 1130 on a Sunday night and I'm ready to wake up for work and go through an exhausting 40-hour work week. But man, it's worth it for God to use me to have an opportunity to reach people. And I promise you, when you become soul conscious, you're not going to regret it. You're not going to regret that feeling of God working through you to make a difference in somebody. I want all of our church people to experience that and to see that for themselves. Don't take my word for it. What does the Bible say about being a soul winner? Proverbs 11, chapter 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. You need wisdom this morning? Be a soul winner. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Ghost, a commandment, not a convenience. John 15, 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Daniel 12, 3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Matthew 10, 32, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Romans 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. My point tonight is you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be a preacher, you don't have to be called to full-time ministry to have a heart for people. And God came down to his people and said, forget the traditions, forget the rituals, forget the same thing you've been doing all the time for years and years and years. I don't care about that. Follow my pattern execute true judgment, love your neighbor as yourself, and reach people and have compassion on the less, on the less fortunate. Amen. And right there sums up the burden of Jesus Christ in a nutshell. And are we doing that? Are we pattering our lives after that? You know, I look at teenagers. We have, uh, I've talked about him before, but we have a teen, uh, teenage boy in our youth group. High school goes to Danbury High School who's been recently saved and that video that pastor showed at New Year's, and I think I told you last time, he sends me videos of passing out tracks, and I don't think he's missed one Sunday, maybe one, because he had to go out of state with his dad one time, and he's excited about the things of the Lord, and he's texting me throughout the week, and man, I wouldn't trade that for anything to see God work in his life. But then on the flip side of the thing, I see a teenager 
who I won't name, but it was in church this morning, who hasn't been to church in a while, and he's struggling, and he, he, he wants to jump in all the way, but man, he goes through things at home, and he goes through trials, and things that maybe he just can't overcome, but he's here, and he's trying, and I'm praying for him, and I can see that desire that he wants it, but it's just hard because the devil is fighting him, and man, I wouldn't give the opportunity up to work with him and pray for him than any, than anything, for anything in the world. And my thing to you this morning, my challenge to you tonight, is there anybody in your life is there any family member? Is there any coworker? Is there any neighbor? Is there anyone that you're concerned for? Is there anyone that draws you and moves you with compassion and zeal to say, man, God can work in their life and he can use me to make a difference there? You know, the bus ministry is yet yeah, a key thing in our church. And uh, many people here this morning started coming to church because as a result of the bus. I think even Brother Rob way back in the day, started coming to church because of the bus ministry. And we have teenagers who started coming through the bus ministry. But hey, can I say this as well? The bus ministry is so important, but there are families all around us that will never ride a bus, but if we talk to them at work, or if we knocked on their door, or if we handed them something with our radio broadcast, or if they saw something on Facebook, would walk through those doors. Hundreds, thousands of families like that in this area. No doubt about it. People who are looking for answers. Just stirring up conversation with people. It was amazing. I had a problem with my car uh, maybe about a month ago, and a guy came to my house from Geico, and he jumped my car for me and fixed it, and we just started talking, and he asked me about what I do and where I'm at, and just start talking about God and church, and next thing I know, I'm in my driveway, 20 minutes talking with this, with this guy and just saying, you know, I don't really understand it, and I want to understand it, just because you're creating conversation with him. People want to know. People know that the world is not giving them what they need to be satisfied. People want peace and love and strength. And the only thing, as we talked about this morning, the only person who will give that to them is Jesus Christ. And Christian, you have the opportunity to make a difference. You have the opportunity to act on God's command, to execute true judgment, and to love people. Take advantage of it. Don't stand before the Lord someday as I just read in uh, John, it talks about bring forth fruit, fruit that should remain. And don't stand before the Lord someday with no fruit for your labor. Well, I came to church every Sunday, and I was there every Sunday, and I, and I checked off the boxes, and I went through the rituals, and I went through the traditions. That's great. That's awesome. And you stay faithful. That's great. God wants us to do that. Did you make a difference in anybody's life? Can I say this before we end? Parents, did you make a difference in your kid's life? Did you make a difference in them where they caught it, where they got it? That's your ministry right there, more important than anybody. That's who we should be praying for is your own children. Don't let, them, don't let them not catch what we've been passed on. Wherever you are in your life, you can impact a soul for Christ. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be full-time ministry to be the salt and the light of the world. Listen, I don't know what God will do or what, ha what he has for, for me and Catherine for the rest of our life, whether we be here, whether he take us somewhere. I, I don't know, but I know this, that wherever I go and wherever I end up, I just want to make a difference in the lives of people for Jesus Christ. And I don't know where you're going to be your whole life. I don't know where you're going to end up. But may as a Christian, you desire, have that resolve and that desire in your heart as Jesus Christ did that, hey, I want to make a difference in someone's life. I want to be a soul winner. I want to impact a life for Christ. Make that decision. Make that resolve. And man, if we just decided that as a church, we would see God do great things. We would see our Sunday morning crowd here on Sunday night. 
and our Sunday night crowd here on Wednesday night, and we see God work in great ways if we just all caught on to have a passion and a zeal for souls.